0: We are in week five of our series, Did God Say That? We're spending the summer taking a look at some of the most common phrases, uh, ideas, Maybe verses that we think God said um, that perhaps he didn't say. And so we're taking each one of these different phrases, these different things that we attribute to God uh, that are not necessarily uh, things that he said. And we are taking a look to see if they're false, if they're true, or if maybe they're somewhere in between. And so we come to week five uh, of this series. And I'm really glad that you're here today. For those of you I don't know, my name's Todd. I'm really glad that you're here. And, uh, man, I just want to thank our worship team team for the amazing job they do week in and week out. I don't know if you've ever had a situation that you just completely could not understand what was going on. You were completely and utterly in the dark. Maybe it was life, maybe it was a business thing, maybe it was a relationship, maybe finances uh, I remember in eighth grade, uh, it was kind of funny in the last service, my dad and my sister and her kids were in here. And so I told this story and I couldn't embellish it because they're in here. So you guys get the embellished version. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It'll be the same for both. But um, uh, so I was in eighth grade. We had just moved from uh, from Orlando uh, back to Atlanta. It was our second time in Atlanta. And uh, I went to uh, the, the school I went to. It was a Christian school in Decatur in the Atlanta area. And I, I remember, you know, it's all, everything's new. It was new, new school, new new friends, people I didn't know, new teachers, new everything, uh, new house. And man, it was just kind of one of those times in my life that everything was a little bit jarring and shocking. And my parents thought it would be a good idea for me in eighth grade to take pre-Latin. And so I took pre-Latin. And my pre-Latin teacher, she was kind of like, um, she was kind of legendary in art school. Her name was Mrs. Waddy, all right? And man, I've As middle school guys, that's just not, yeah, that's just, anyway, I I won't even go any further. Anyway, but Mrs. Waddy was amazing. Um, She sadly passed away a few years, uh, like I think into my college uh, years, and she was just, um, she taught Bible and she taught languages, uh, specifically Latin at, at my school, the school that I went to. Um, And I always, like, when I first got there, I thought it was really interesting and kind of um, funny that this Mrs. Waddy was, like, the quintessential southern Atlanta lady, right? And she had this southern draw, and I thought it was funny that she was the one that was teaching ancient languages, right? So, like, I would sit in the back and kind of snicker, if I'm really honest, like, with my buddies. Me and my buddies, we'd kind of, you know, just kind of laugh at this. Not making fun of her, of course, but, you know, laughing about it. And um, so I was already a little ADD, plus I really wasn't paying much attention in pre, pre-Latin. pre And um, so I, I remember after about a month in eighth grade, um, Mrs. Waddy asked if I would stay after the class. Now, it, it wasn't for lack of trying that I was struggling in pre-Latin. Um, I I really did. I put a lot of effort into it. I studied all the conjugation charts and puella and puere and all that kind of jazz. I studied it, but man, I just wasn't ready for for that kind of thing as a as an eighth grader. And after about a month, she called me in, and I had to go to her, her office. Uh, you know, afterwards, her classroom afterwards, and um, she she said, "Look, Todd, I, I know that I talk a lot about this because we used to really." get at her when we would say, Mrs. Waddy, Latin is a dead language. That would just really get her stirred up. Like she'd be like, no, it's not a dead language. It's very much alive. And so she would often say it's very much alive. And she called me in the class that day, and she said, you know, we talk about this a lot. And, and I, I realized that like I, I get on you students because I say that Latin is an alive language. It's not dead. And she goes, for me, it's not dead. For the kids that are in that classroom, it's not dead. And then in her deepest southern draw, she looked at me and she said, Mr. Cullen, for you, Latin is dead. And she said, she's like, Some of you are ooing and awing, I've gotten over it over the years. It's okay. Like, so, but like in in that deepest southern draw, she just said, It is time to drop the class. And I quickly dropped it, and I never picked it back up. But uh, I got to tell you, it was—it was probably the first time in my life that I can remember just cognitively thinking, "I literally don't understand what's going on." I was so lost. I struggled through math. I struggled through the language you know, classes, English classes, as it was. Did really well in history and science and that sort of thing. But I, I got to tell you, when I hit that class, that Latin class, I, had, I was so in the dark. I was so in the dark. I just wasn't ready for it. And, and as I, I got thinking about today and, and taking a look at this, this phrase that we're coming to, I got thinking about the fact that since then, I've realized that there have been so many things along the way that happens in life that just life brings up that is so much more difficult to understand than maybe our worst academic day or perhaps our our worst business day or perhaps our worst family day. There are things that happen in life, situations that rise up, circumstances that happen that put us in a place where if we're just honest, we wonder, What in the world is going on? I completely don't understand. I can't comprehend what is happening. And we as Christians often will get to the end of those circumstances and we'll look back and things have worked out in our favor. And we often use the phrase that we're going to talk about today. And you can say it with me. It's this phrase. You'll see it up here on the screens. God works in mysterious ways. And today I want to talk about that phrase. It falls into this category of things that are not found in God's word. God did not say that he works in mysterious ways, nor did any one of those writers who wrote the Bible, none of them were inspired by God to communicate the idea that God works in mysterious ways. But God does often work in mysterious ways, doesn't he? especially as we're at the end of the situation or the circumstance that we're going through and we look back and we see that he's been there all along. But I think there might be an error in this. It actually doesn't come from the Bible. Most people believe it comes from, it originates from um, William Calpert's hymn from 1774, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. It may have just come from society. But here's the problem, and here's the fallacy, and here's the fault in that particular phrase, because it is true, and it's not true, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But here's the biggest problem with that phrase. I believe the problem with that phrase comes into play when we say it, Or when we think it, and we either have one of two things, too casual of a faith that's revealed in that phrase, or too weak of a faith that's revealed in that phrase. And so today I want us to take a real look at what's meant by this phrase, God works in mysterious ways, what the Bible says about it, what it says about it from a global perspective in terms of what's going on in the world and when maybe we're confused about what's happening in the world, but also what's happening in our lives. I think there's a lot revealed about our faith when we easily use this phrase God works in mysterious ways, but we have to understand, and there's kind of three parts to today's message, and this is the first part, that God does have a certain part of him that is mysterious. There is a mystery behind God. In fact, it's our, our kind of our first statement today is there are certain aspects of who God is and what God does that will never be revealed to us. And I don't know about you, but if you're in here and you're, you have any type A in you, that can be a little frustrating, right? If there's any part of you that wants to know what the future is going to hold in any kind of aspect, maybe even just a little bit, it's frustrating and maybe it's a little bit unsettling to realize that there are, the truth is, that there are certain aspects of God, of who he is, and what he does that will never be revealed us. Today, I'm going to use this man by the name of Job as kind of an example of this phrase and what's wrong with this phrase and what's right with this phrase. And Job, it's 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 the oldest story, actually one of the oldest, the oldest book that was written in the Bible is the book of Job. And it's a long, uh, it's a long book, about 42, I believe, chapters. And in the very first two chapters, what happens to this guy by the name of Job, who God said he was a man of God, a trustworthy man in God's eyes. He was one of the most wealthy men in all the earth. He had a great family. He did things that was honoring to God. And Satan approaches God and says, God, I'm looking for someone who I can mess with and test. And God says, go after Job because he won't deny me. And how would you like to be Job, by the way, in that story, right? And by the way, a lot of people think that Job is a metaphor. It's not. It is a true story that really happened in the Bible, and there's so much that we can learn from it. But if you read Job in the first couple chapters and then the last few chapters, you you see so much about what God was doing and what God is doing in his redemptive plan for all of us. And so Satan goes after Job, and in the first chapter, he loses his family. He loses everything that made him money. His kids, his, his, his daughters, and his sons, they all die. And it literally happens. If you read Job literally, and I do, it happens within a, min- a matter of minutes. And then in the next chapter, you see he loses his health. He, everything in his life literally comes crashing down in on Job. And then Job's wife looks at him and says, curse God and die. He has three friends that come to him. Their names are Bildad, Eliphaz, and Zophar. And these were friends that came to him in his greatest time of need and tried to comfort him, and they completely failed. They were terrible friends, and it wasn't just because they had weird names. These friends were the ones that came to Job and tried to comfort him, but it didn't offer much comfort. In fact, it even pushed him further Into his depression. But in the midst of these conversations that he has with his friends, Zophar essentially challenges his reasoning about his circumstances. And he makes a statement that's true, and we find it in Job chapter 11, verses 7 through 9. Zophar asks Job, Can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? It is higher than heaven, than, the he- than heaven. what can you do? Deeper than Sheol, what can you know? Its measure is long and, uh, long, uh, longer than the earth and broader than the sea. And I'm sure Job was like, thanks, be gone, you're not helping at all. But in that moment, he revealed something about God that's true. And that is, is we may not ever completely on this side of heaven understand his plans. Prophet Isaiah is speaking to the Jewish people. On behalf of God, he tells them this in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. He says, for my thoughts, is God speaking, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts And so we have to settle, listen, Christ follower, we have to settle in our hearts and in our minds and in our spirits that there's just, there's a part of God that we will never understand how he works and what he does. There's just gonna be a part of it we don't understand. But, and it's the second part today, but we also should be grateful and thankful and take solace in the fact that God has been revealing himself to us since the beginning of time. God has been revealing himself to creation, and he's been revealing himself to man since the beginning of time. And while there are certain aspects of God that we will never understand, through his word, through his Holy Spirit, through his son Jesus, God has been gradually revealing himself to us all through time. I heard one pastor say that the Old Testament is uh, God more concealed and the New Testament is God more revealed. And while that's generally true, even in the Old Testament, God was gradually revealing himself to mankind, to humanity. In Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29, the writer says the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us. They belong to us. And to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. The apostle Paul in the New Testament speaks about this when he's in prison. And he's writing a letter to the church, the Christians, in this place called Ephesus. And it's the book of Ephesians, the letter of Ephesians that we have. And he's, he's telling them that he believes that God's plan is for him to be in jail and writing this letter. And he says, this all, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. He repeats this theme, and and by the way, we're going to be studying in October and November. We're going to do an in-depth study, an eight-week in-depth study of of the book of Ephesians. Um, And and so we're going to kind of come back to this uh, as we take a look at Ephesians chapter 3. But he repeats the same theme in Colossians. Check this out, uh, chapters 1 and 2. He's talking about this this plan of God and the sovereignty of God in verse 25 of chapter 1. He says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery, he says, hidden for ages and generations, but now, what's that next word? Revealed. Revealed to his saints. In chapter 2 of the same book, he says, in in the second half of of, of verse number 2, he says, To reach all the riches and full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, he says right there, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He continually, throughout his books and letters, Paul does, talks about the mystery of the gospel. And the mystery of the gospel, we're going to be taking a look at it when we study Ephesians, is this great thing that God, through Jesus, has now come for all of humanity, not just for those people who were the people of God, the Israelites, the Jewish people. Now we, who call ourselves Christ followers, who believe in him, we are joined in, we are joint heirs with God's people. That's the mystery of the gospel. It's a beautiful thing. We'll be talking about that. But all through scripture, God is revealing himself to us. And while it may be unsettling, the truth that certain aspects of God are are not going to be revealed to us, we also ought to realize the thankfulness and the gratefulness that we should have because God has revealed himself to us in part through his word. And through his son. And I just want to stop here for a moment before we dive into the third part of today's message and just say this. If we go through our lives and when we have times in our life, like we're going to talk about in a moment, where the, the, the world is very dark to us, it's very difficult to understand. We get to a point where we just cannot comprehend what is going on. If God is revealing himself to us, then we as his people, ought to be seeking his word out for the answers in life. Even if we know that there's part of it that he may never reveal to us, even if, we, even if there's part of it that we, we know that for our good he may not reveal to us, our job as his children is to get to know him. Our job as his children is to follow him more closely, to get to more, know him more personally. And that means time in his word, time spent getting to know and i got to be honest, um, this whole idea of God works in mysterious ways, it's great to know and maybe be settled in our spirits that God works in mysterious ways. And he, there's a part of his nature and his works and his ways that's a mystery. And it's great to know that he makes himself revealed to us and how to find him. We go to his word. We spend time with him in prayer. But I'm going to be honest with you. I think that um, this whole phrase that we may have missed. Um, misused or kind of um, misattributed to God when it wasn't really his phrase in the first place it makes itself so personal when God's mysterious ways and our circumstances inter- intersect it's, it's at that place where God's circumstances are, are, are our circumstances are happening and God's ways are sovereign, he is in control where this plays itself out where it is most incredibly difficult Yesterday, uh, some of you probably saw that um, we celebrated the 50th anniversary of the first lunar landing. Is that right? Is that what it was? The 50th anniversary of the lunar landing yesterday. It was a great day. I, I wasn't there. I didn't see it. Some of you did. Raise your hand. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to make you do that. Okay, all right. So, Some of you saw it on TV. Millions of people saw it on TV in a day and age where it was very... That was that was incredible that that was broadcast live 50 years ago. It's amazing. It really is. But most of you probably know the story that when those astronauts would be taken around the moon, once they reached that dark side of the moon wasn't just a Pink Floyd song, all right? So once they reached the dark side of the moon, some of you are like, ooh, he mentioned Pink Floyd in church. He's in trouble. Yeah, maybe. Okay, so anyway, once they reached that side of the moon, all of a sudden, the communication with those astronauts in that lunar lander la- landing module was cut off from Earth. And all of a sudden, everything that was secure All of a sudden became untethered, it became unhinged. I can't imagine for those few minutes what those astronauts might have been going through when they went around that side of the moon that was furthest from the earth with no contact, no communication. And I wonder if maybe those moments that you have and that I have, where you don't understand what God is doing, we don't understand why that relationship has become so difficult that was once our greatest security or why that health thing that has risen up in us or someone we love has presented itself in such a remarkably horrible way or maybe the financial crisis that we're going through or the business crisis that we're going through we're wondering why in the world are we going through this and 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 what is god's plan in all of this those are our that's our moment when when the world is the darkest I want you to think about that moment in your life. When in your life did the world, was the world darkest? For me, it was a few years ago when um, my doctor looked at me after me talking to him for a long time over, over several different um, meetings, and he looked at me and he said, I hate to tell you this, but what you have is called clinical depression. And I, I was like, what? what? You got to be kidding me. And the more that I understood about depression, man, he was right. I didn't like it, but he was right. It was a very dark time, and I'm not going to go into that. I've talked about that before. But it it was that time in my life where it seemed like the world just kept getting darker and darker, and everything became more and more silent. I felt like I was further and further from God, and those things that I knew to be true, I began to start doubting. And that's what we do. That's what we do. Even as Christ followers, when we have crisis, when we have darkness, when we have those moments where, man, life has kind of served up something that we don't like, it it really gets difficult for us to stay in the game. And listen, our faith, is most challenged when God's mysterious ways intersect with our circumstances. When our circumstances are, are difficult to understand, our reliance on God can be far too casual or extremely weak. And here's what I mean by that. It, it's really easy for us to get to the end of whatever we're going through, the end of the dark time. The sun comes out and everything gets a little bit better. And we look back and we casually say, God works in mysterious ways. Was it, but is it ever really that easy, church? Is it ever really that easy going through it? Never. It never is. Nor is it supposed to be. See, I want us to move. I want to move from a place where instead of at the end of the circumstances, when everything gets better, I want to, I want to move to a place in my faith walk, in my faith journey with God, where in the midst of those Terribly dark circumstances in the midst of that situation that we thought would never, never present itself to us. I want to get to the place when I'm in the middle of it. I know that moving forward is going to be okay, regardless of what forward is, because I know that God has got it. And I can, in the middle of my mess, say, God works in mysterious ways. And I don't know exactly what the future holds but I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust him for the future. I'm going to trust him in these circumstances. The Apostle Paul talks a lot about faith and trust and belief. And just for the sake of today's message, I'm going to use those words interchangeably. But the word faith in the New Testament, it's a little bit like the word love. We have one word in the Greek language. They had at least four words for the word faith. And there's an element of faith that we have when we come to a saving faith. It's called a saving faith. When we realize our sin and we realize our distance from God and we realize that he sent his son to die on the cross and we put our faith for our eternity in God's son, Jesus. That's called a saving faith. But there's also this aspect in the New Testament, we see it in our lives, of a faith journey or a journey of trust, or what I like to call a living faith. And Christ follower, i got to tell you that it's in those moments of darkness, it's in those moments of despair, it's in those moments of our greatest confusion when, when our faith is forged, our living faith is forged. It's developed. It's not on those mountaintop experiences where everything is good. It's in the valleys where sometimes we can't see the sun. Hebrews chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews, gives this what we call the hall of faith. He walks through some of the great people of faith in God's word, but he begins in verse 1, and he gives a definition to faith. He says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's a great definition of faith, of trust, of a living faith of the ability to trust God even when we don't know how it's going to end. We don't know how our situation is going to work out. Romans 8, 28, we often forget about this, that Paul wrote this to the church in Rome. He says, and we know that for, for those who love God, all things work together for good, for, the peop- for those people who are called according to his purpose. And they were facing an onslaught from Rome during that day, those Christians, an onslaught. Our man Job, who we talked about earlier, he gets to the end of his life, and he has all these friends that come along, and and, and they they challenge him. It, I mentioned the the friend earlier. He this friend came to him. Have you ever had a friend like this? Like you go through a difficult time, and you have a friend that comes to you and they put their arm around you, and they're like, "Hey, I'm here. I'm here to help you, and I'm here to give you comfort." And, and I just I just want to let you know that the reason you're going through the calamity and the difficulty that you're going through is you're evil and you've done something wrong. You don't have to raise your hand on that. But, like, do you have a friend like that? That's what was going on. And I think for Job, he never cursed God. He never, he never cursed God and died like his wife told him to. But it, at moments, he struggled to understand what God was doing. And eventually, God confronted him. God rebuked his three friends, and Job comes to his senses. And I, I, I read the ESV version of the Bible. I very rarely will preach from the message, but I love the way the message puts this in Job chapter forty-two, one through six. I want to read this as we begin to wrap up today. Job then, after this whole long series of events, he answered the Lord. And he said this, I know, I am convinced that you can do anything and everything. Nothing and no one can upset your plan. You asked, who is this muddy in the water? Ignorantly, confusing the issue, second guessing my purpose. And Job says this. I admit it. I was the one. I was the one. I babbled on about things far beyond me. I made small talk about wonders way over my head. You told me, listen, and let me do the talking. Let me ask the question. You give the answers. I admit I once lived by rumors of you. Now I have it all firsthand from my own eyes my own ears and he says i'm sorry forgive me i'll never do that again i promise i'll never again live on crusts of hearsay crumbs of rumors part of the reason i wanted you to hear that in the message is because it makes real it makes maybe a little bit more applicable where we find ourselves, when we begin to lose that living faith in the God who wants your best for you. And I asked you a question earlier. When was that dark time in your life? When was that darkest time in your life? And maybe some of you, if you're really honest, you're like, it's going on right It's happening like right now, like I'm right in the middle of that darkest time. Or maybe it's been going on for a while and you haven't quite gotten out of it yet. I want you to know that when it comes to God working in mysterious ways, um, whatever circumstance you're going through, that's an opportunity for you to deepen your faith to have your faith tested and forged and a deep living faith is developed. I want you to hear this when we move from a place of blame and bitterness about our circumstances, currently what's going on, and choose to confidently trust God's mysterious ways. I never, it never works out for me when I try to blame someone else for any circumstance that I'm currently going through even if I'm not at fault. And I love what Job went through, and I hate it for him. But at one point in time, God essentially looks at Job and says, are you going, are you going to judge me for your circumstances? And, and, and I love the message version. I'll have it up. But essentially what God says to him is, is are, you going to, are you going to sue me? Are you going to take me to court? But isn't that what we do? Like, we have some kind of circumstance that's forced upon us. Somebody has to blame. Somebody should pay for my circumstances. And it should be God. And we may not say that. We may not say it out loud. We may not even think it quite that directly. But I think very subtly we do that. And our faith is really deepened. Our living faith is developed and deepened and forged when we move from that place of blame and bitterness about our current circumstances, our current situations, and choose to confidently, confidently trust God's mysterious ways. Listen, Christ follower, in the midst of the dark, in the moment of despair, not after it's all been cleaned up, so my question for you today as we close. It's what's holding back, what's holding you back from confidently trusting God's mysterious ways. For Job, I don't know if you saw there, it was friends. <laughs> I wouldn't really call them friends. They were giving him pretty bad advice. And he essentially says, I admit it, I didn't go to you first, God. So what is it that's keeping you from confidently trusting God in your darkest hour, in your darkest day? Listen, we can have a saving faith all day long and trust in God for our salvation, for our eternity, and our future. But if we are people that use this phrase, God works in mysterious ways, let's be people who really believe it. Let's be people who allow God to deepen our confidence in him. Who are brave enough to say, I don't have all the answers, nor do some of the people in my life, nor does the conventional wisdom of the day, but I am going to seek you out, God. The one who is truly in control. The one who, regardless of what the future may hold, has my best in mind and his glory in mind. Let's move forward trusting him. Father, I thank you so much that you're a God that we can trust. And I realize there may be people in here today that are going through their darkest hour right now. There may be people who are listening to the sound of my voice who are, who are really struggling, and maybe it's not what I went through. The pain and the circumstances and the situations in their life, um, it's theirs. And maybe they've played a part in that, Maybe they haven't. God, I pray that you would help them right now to realize there's a part of our life and a part of the way that you work and a part of who you are that we may never fully understand. Father, help us to be thankful and grateful that you are revealing yourself to us, that you continue to do that, and may we seek you and your word out to find more about what you're doing. But God, I pray most of all That you would help me, that you would help each one of us in here to develop a deep living faith, a confidence, not in ourselves, but in you, that you've got it under control. And I want to pray right now for those who are in here, God, who may be struggling in an area, and it is their darkest hour. It is their darkest day. Maybe, maybe it's been months and years of darkness. Father, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would give them confidence to trust that you've got it. Not to be too casual about that. Not to be fake and phony and say God works in mysterious ways and not really mean it. But to have a true, abiding, lasting confidence that you are in control you are sovereign and God we thank you that you're in control of every little detail of everything that goes on around us even when it feels like life is completely out of control I pray that you would give us the faith that you would help deepen our confidence in you God may we be people who are brave not because of our own work not because of our own experience, but because we have put our trust in you. Help each one of us right now in those areas that we need it. God, stretch us, forge us, make us strong, deepen and develop our faith. We ask you to do that. In Jesus' name, I pray and all God's people said, amen.